have a little more confidence in yourself that people are going to accept your your weirdness or your idiosyncrasies and or your and awkwardness in your, my case <laughs> whatever the case may be <laughs> but i would say just kind of embrace your own little inner weirdness that you may have and and let it fly let your freak flag fly at least a little bit the oil and gas industry the driving engine of the world economy Delivering prosperity, innovation, and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here this afternoon at the Capitol Girls City Center with Trevor Hicks, Managing Director for Stonebridge Consulting. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks it's, for having me. Besides that cold coldness that's happening outside all of a sudden. <laughs> it's ridiculous. This is this is what we live in Texas to avoid. I know. Is that kind of weather. What, and what's funny is <laughs> the last time we saw each other was actually in Calgary when it was actually warmer. I think it there. was. I think it was warmer. Yeah. Although... We, well, we went up in the mountains one day, and that was pretty chilly. Ugh. Yeah, no, I, had a I, geology field tour. That was pretty cool, though. Oh, I didn't even hear about that. Yeah, yeah, oh. there was a, a geologist from Shell that took a group of us up uh, up in the mountains and and showed us all the geological history of of the area. And, and we we actually the the real highlight was getting to go see a Shell gas processing plant. You know, that was a real a real big tourist attraction. Yeah, and you can imagine people are going up to to Banff and they're wanting to see the gas processing plant. But but no, we had a we had a great visit. But it was it was. Really, brutal it was really cold yeah. yeah 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 well oh i think we saw snow flurries today so that was different for houston i heard a rumor about that yeah, yeah. i didn't see any myself but no, I, I didn't either i didn't either because i'm not trying to get out into it but anyway before we really get into it i wanted to thank everyone that has left a review in itunes and uh, actually i wanted to read uh, one of the newest ones uh love this podcast i got a five-star review thank you to fit and wifey really clever name by the way I love the questions Paige asks her guests. It's always interesting hearing where they started out and where they are now. Also, a ton of podcasts and book recommendations written down for this podcast. Great job, Paige. Thanks, Fit and Wifey. All right, so Trevor, how did you get started in the industry? Well, it was it was kind of by accident. I was an undergraduate, University of Tulsa, mm-hmm. and one day the uh, chairman of the math department called me up and, and said that, some uh, some guys from Schlumberger had called him up and said they needed some part-time help. They had Schlumberger, this was, I said Tulsa, Schlumberger had an R&D center in Tulsa at the time. Mm-hmm. And he gave them my name. And so I went out there and, and started part-time as a software tester while I was a senior undergrad and wound up staying there 18 years. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that. So uh, what other parts did you play in that 18 years at Schlumberger? Most of the time was software R&D roles. So I worked on wireline software, drilling software, fracturing software. Ultimately, I I wound up becoming the the head of R&D in the U.S. for SIS, which is their commercial software division. So... And for those that don't know what R&D stands for, what? Oh, research and development. Okay. Yeah. So basically, I was a programmer. Okay. And then then a boss of programmers. Oh, well, that sounds delightful. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a computer nerd. That's awesome. I love that. So yeah, so it was it was uh, 18 years with Schlumberger, and although I did take a couple of 
a couple of detours during those time to go to grad school a couple of times. So it wasn't completely continuous there with Schlumberger. But after, after Schlumberger, I worked with Pipeline Software Company. And then I was uh, Baker Hughes for a few years mm-hmm. and where I was you know, director of you know, document management and software standards and governance and that sort of stuff. And uh, since then, I've also been, uh, been just been working in the consulting gig then for the last roughly five years. Yeah. Yeah. What made you do that? Well, it, it, there's, I guess this is where we get to the painful part of the conversation because, because <laughs> I, I haven't, I, you know, I have not succeeded in every role that I've had in, in my career. And so one of those roles where I honestly, where I failed with the company, I found myself out on the street and fortunately I had a good reputation, good name. I've been working with PPDM for a few years. I've been on the board of directors and so, um, you know, I had, I had a good network of, of folks out there uh, who were aware of who I was and what I could do. And so I actually landed a job pretty quickly back in, into consulting and, and have found that, uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. And I think I've got a pretty good knack for it. And, and so I've stuck with it for, for, you know, for quite a while then. Yeah. So what are some of the, the bigger challenges you've had to face in your roles? Other than being out on the street, obviously. I mean, that sounds <laughs> pretty freaking rough. That's a pretty big one. Yeah. So that's, um, yeah, th- that's, that's the biggest challenge, of course. But I think, well, if, if I think back to where have I not been successful, okay, yeah, I'm supposed to come on here and talk about how great and wonderful I am. But if I think about where I wasn't successful, you, you know, the main thing that really, the, you know, the, the common theme there, I think, is, is not having a good common understanding with my boss about what this job was really all about and where were we adding business value and, and just not having that that fundamental agreement on on what the objectives of the role really should be. And 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 so I think I've I've learned as I've gone throughout my career since then is to make sure that that's really crystal clear when I'm when I've been interviewing with a company or kind of been in you know and talks about where I was going to go next, I've I've recognized look this is something where I know I've got to make sure that this is this is well understood between us because again that's that's the common thread for for when I've not been successful is not having that 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 good that good alignment yeah on what the role is really all about yeah being transparent and communicating right mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, partly I had, I had bosses and these were, you know, really high level executives who were kind of expecting me to figure it out on my own. And so great. Hey, turn me loose. I'll go figure things out on my own. But I think I took things in a direction that they weren't necessarily expecting. And, and that led to, led to fall out. Yeah. Well, that's unfortunate, but yeah. I mean, you love, you learn. Yep. Absolutely. So if you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? Well, I think, yeah, I guess the obvious one is you know make sure that you're having those conversations with your boss about about what you're doing and and that you have that agreement and alignment. I think you know, maybe another piece of advice is is don't take advice from strangers. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like candy or <laughs> Yeah, it, a little bit I think the uh and what I what I mean by that is you know, I, I read a lot and 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 I talk with a lot of people and and I think I've 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 taken advice and I've followed advice that I've read from people that are, you know, really well-respected, intelligent, smart people, and they're providing business or career development advice that's, that's not necessarily bad, but not really tailored or specific to me. And as a result, I think I've, I've not necessarily optimized all the opportunities that I've had in my career. And so what I would say is, 
is that, yeah. And, and so I, I said that kind of jokingly, but I'm, I'm, I'm really being serious that if you're going to start taking advice from people, I think you really want to make sure that you're getting that advice from somebody who knows you and who knows your capabilities and knows who you are and what you do and what you can do and making sure that, that you're getting that advice. That's really going to, that's, that's tailored to you because I think uh, you know, particularly if you're a talented person, if you have some unique skill sets, if you're somebody who's who's got a lot of potential, you know, advice that's that's kind of being presented for the masses in a way is probably not going to help you. No, unless it, you know, not going to help you, but it's going to help that book sale, right? Right, right. Or and like I say, I'm not trying to, to denigrate that. Or you know, the, the average for, advice for the average person is probably really good for the average person, but you know, it's, it's probably not. I think most of the people in this audience are probably wouldn't consider themselves just kind of an average nobody. So right. yeah. I would have to agree. I love my audience. <laughs> exactly. Fantastic people. All of you are wonderful. <laughs> so tell me more about Stonebridge and what you're trying to accomplish. Okay, sure. So Stonebridge Consulting, we're, I think primarily we're in the, we're in the business of, of helping our customers with, with what I would call data integrity. And I haven't, it's not Exactly. I haven't made up that term. It's, it's something which is out there. But, but I think it's a, it's a term that maybe we don't use often enough in, in, the, in the data management side of business. And, and I use that deliberately, data integrity, to, to try and draw a parallel between asset integrity. We talk a lot about data being a strategic asset. And, and I think because we're trying to beg people to spend money on data and, and, being a, and doing a good job with data because, uh, you know, all the potential of big data analytics, machine learning, all the stuff that's out there. Well, all that depends on having a good data platform underneath the hood. And so when we're trying to motivate people to, to spend money on, on, on good data management, good data practices, I think it helps to use the language of, of assets where you know, business managers in the oil and gas business are, are really used to, to spending money on asset integrity. And what I mean by that is ensuring that assets are, are doing, doing the job that they were designed to do and that they're, they're being operated safely and efficiently and that sort of thing. And we can draw the same kind of parallels to, to how are you managing your data. And so, so this is really, I hope I'm not taking too long of a winding story here. <laughs> no, you're fine. But I think you know, when we get into to, to data integrity, there's some different components of that that are, that are really important. So master data management, for instance, is one of them. And that's where if you imagine a, a typical upstream operator, you've got a land department drilling, you've got production, you've got accounting, you've got just Geo whole, reservoir. Uh, imagine you can yeah. keep stacking them up. Well, they all have their own unique software packages that are tied to the operations or the, the tasks that they're trying to perform. Well, each of those different software packages also has got to have the data. They've got, they've got wells in, yeah. in each of those packages. Well, what happens when there's discrepancies between the well name or the location or all these other kind of attributes mass on a well? Mass confusion. Absolutely. And so master data management is how you can resolve those kinds, of, those kinds of issues. And you can decide as a company, how are you going to cope with these discrepancies when they when they when they come up. And so Stonebridge, one of the things that we do besides the consulting side of things is we also have software products that are also for sale that, that are going to, to help manage that kind of process. Uh, so master data management is, is a, is an important component data quality. You think about the, just the, the, the correctness of your data. And there's a lot of different dimensions of that, but maybe the simplest example I always like to use is if you think about a tubular, you've got an inside diameter and an outside diameter. Well, you need to have both. Yep. You know, so the completeness of, of, of that data record needs to be there. And also, 
your inside diameter should be less than your outside diameter as long yeah, as we're dealing. That's usually how yeah. that works. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> but you'd be surprised at how oftentimes you can go into a, into a software system and, and see where that's not necessarily the case for, for some tubulars. And so that's, that's the type of thing that we're, that we're helping to address. Again, we're selling software products to help address that, but also we're providing consulting. How are we going to de- develop the, the correct processes and procedures that are going to help an organization not put those kinds of mistakes into their systems in the first place? So it's almost like a, a pre-ad to say uh, Wellview or, or Excalibur, or it's a, it's kind of hey red flags. Exactly, exactly. These, these are all the mistakes. These are things are not that are not adding up. Exactly, and we work with those those products in particular that you just mentioned. We work with those tools all the time. Uh, in terms of helping to to keep the systems across an organization to help keep the data that's in those systems consistent, and there's even deeper problems. And if, in fact, if you think about, well, things, I was gonna I was gonna say deeper problems is acquiring stuff, right? Well, yeah, the the acquisition of of that data and making sure because because not only do you have all your own systems, but look, you're always getting data in from your vendors, mm-hmm. and how how good how good a job are your vendors doing at at being super careful about making sure that all the data is correct on on their well headers and all those other kinds of attributes so 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 yeah there, there's there's a lot of different challenges in terms of coping with those kinds of issues to to make sure that your data is correct because regardless of what the hype you hear about machine learning and uh, you just throw all your data you know you just throw this tool at, at a big pile of data and it'll figure things out it doesn't necessarily work that way very no, often so no. i've never seen it work that way matter of factly well, I wasn't going to try and criticize anybody, but <laughs> I haven't either. But and so, yeah, so that's a lot of what what, uh, you know, if you want to really get the full value out of your data, you've got to have you know good governance and, and, and good standards in place for for how you manage that, you know, for how you present that data to those higher end tools. So that's a that's a lot of where that's a that's again that's where we stay busy is is providing those kinds of services to folks and and in fact the other the other issue that I was going to talk about is is even just on agreeing on definitions you think of something like a spud date which you know it, on on the one hand you think oh well everybody knows what a spud date is well yeah kind of but you know ever there's still there's still like different perspectives on that. Right. And it really actually depends on the regulatory entity that has governance. Exactly. So so your regulatory group has one idea of what your spud date should be. Your drilling group is probably going to have maybe a slightly different idea of what your of what your spud date should be because they're not as worried about the paperwork for the regulatory bodies, but they're worried about, well, I've got some kind of incentive in place that says I need to drill this well in X number of days. And so that's so the spud date is important from from when that measurement starts. Your production group cares about spud date for you know for well they they probably care more about your initial production date, but that your land group cares about spud date. I was going to say production probably is worried about more the completion date. Yes. So there's so there's a variety of dates there, but but kind of sticking with the theme of spud date. If your land group they care about spud date because of your leasehold obligations or your royalty payments and your drilling group cares about it for your incentives on how long is it taking you to drill as well. And your regulatory group cares about it from what's the, what's the paperwork that they have to file and, and making sure that they're you know, doing that they're reporting things in a way that their regulatory bodies care about. Well, part of the problem is most of the time, those different perspectives agree, mm-hmm. you know, you usually it, it's okay. And that's actually in in a weird way, that's the worst case is when it usually works because then you get complacent and you don't think about it and you just kind of throw spud data in there and you don't have any def you don't have a formal definition you don't have any process around what the spud date should be, and then when you have 
disagreements between these different groups. Now you've got a problem. How do you resolve that? And so from a, from a data management, data governance perspective, one of the things that we work with companies to do is to help eliminate those kinds of problems, to, to set up a, okay, who has the authority to define spud date for this company? And, and if this definition of spud date, maybe it's the regulatory definition that you adopt. Well, how do you take care of these special cases where drilling actually needs a different date sometimes or, or your land needs to record a different date and making sure that you've got definitions in place for, for those other ways of thinking about spud date and, and also ensuring that people know what's, okay, where do you type in the, the data on this field? Or if you're building some kind of report, which field should you be using to, to, to build a certain kind of report? And so, so these kinds of issues can get extremely complex and so having having really experienced consultants like we have in Stonebridge to be able to come in and and work with the company to to figure out what the right solution is for these kinds of issues is can be really valuable so that's that's a lot of what that's a lot of the value that we bring is is having that experience and expertise to be able to to not only surface these kinds of issues that people may not even be aware of but then but then help them to solve them efficiently excellent yeah and I I have a I I know how when, especially when operators uh, acquire existing properties and, 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 and bring that over, how hard everybody has to work to scrub all that data to make sure it does line up oh, absolutely. with what they have in place. Absolutely. And that's, that's a big part of our business as well is, is doing advisory on M&A transactions, both for the buyers and the sellers, and, and helping them to understand, even from the standpoint of how do you write your contract? Because so often these transactions are negotiated without a data manager in the room. And it's really unfortunate because a lot of times the buyer gets stuck with a contract that's really not optimal and doesn't really meet their needs. And, and, you know, the operator, the operating group suffers and, and, and there's, you know, there's data that, that isn't really very well specified. I mean, there's, I could, I could go on for quite a while on all the and, types of issues, but you can imagine the types of problems and, and even in the, even on the sellers, sometimes, people will write these contracts and they will commit to providing data that they don't actually have title to. And so we've seen transactions. Or don't even have confirmation that they actually have. That they have the data, yeah. So we have actually seen transactions where the the seller of a certain set of assets has actually had to go out and purchase data in order to satisfy the terms of the contract Wow. Uh, for the assets that they were transferring to a buyer. So... So we can we can get in, engaged even at that advisory level and helping to make sure that those that those contracts are, are written properly, and then also help both the buyers or the sellers you know understand what their obligations are and be able to make good, accurate cost and effort estimates on how much how much work is it going to take to really complete this transaction. Of course, it's usually more work for the buyer to to integrate all that data, but but yeah. So so that's but a, in that's my a, in opinion is well worth it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, that, so that's those are the other types of services that we provide as well. That's awesome. So, what book would you say influenced you the most? You, I know you said you're a reader, so yeah, I'm expecting something grand. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think as a person, I think the book that's influenced me the most, and I think probably both professionally as well, is um, is a book that came out in the late '90s. It's called "The Future and Its Enemies" by Virginia Postrel. And it's, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a political book, but definitely 
you know, it's, it's, there's, there's politics in it. Oh, and, oh joy. I haven't yeah. had enough after the midterms. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- this is, this is a, this is kind of a, a, a different take on, on politics, but also society and culture. And really what it is, it's about the, the, the struggle and conflict between dynamic thinking and static thinking. Okay. And that's really what it comes down to. So it's not so much about left and right and, and Republicans and Democrats and that kind of stuff. It's more about who's engaged in, in thinking about things from a from an innovative perspective and, and how are we going forward and how are we going to make positive change in the world or if you're thinking about again from a business perspective how are you going to make positive change in in whatever business area that you're working in and and then thinking about the people that oppose change the static thinkers and the people that well this is the way we've always done it and we don't really want to change and 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 how do you how do you cope with that kind of mindset and how do you overcome it and so, so I think even though it's, like I said, it's really kind of written as, as a book that's focused on politics. If, if you read it from a larger perspective, it really applies to just about everything in your life. And, and hopefully you're thinking of yourself as, as more of a dynamic type of thinker. I mean, that's really the perspective yeah. of the book is not to be a, a static old buddy duddy, you know? So in fact, I've got one of those, um, you know, those success posters. Mm-hmm. I've got one of those anti-success posters that I, <laughs> that I keep and it's, it's, it's showing the running of the bulls at Pamplona and, and it says, uh, tradition, just because it's the way we've always done it doesn't mean it's not incredibly stupid. And so, so, you know, that's the kind of the mindset that I've tried to, tried to adopt there. And so I think this book actually was a large part of helping me to understand, you know, kind of the things that I sort of grasped intuitively, but to help really solidify how I think about the world and how I think about my place in it and what am I trying to achieve and accomplish in, in the world. Good, good, good. What would you say is your most used business tool since you are a programmer and boss of programmers and you know, it, I have to say, in terms of my most used, it's Excel. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm almost kind of, you know, uh, ashamed to admit that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, because it's supposed to be some kind of fancy, awesome thing there or whatever. But honestly, if I have to say also, as somebody who's worked as a programmer and, and you know, done quite a bit of work in software, I, I do think that the single best commercial piece of software that's ever been written is Microsoft Excel. I mean, it's... I mean, you think about when was the last time you tried to do something that it couldn't do. That's true. I That's mean, a very good point. Very good point. It's an amazing piece of software. And you think about the complexity and the, the capabilities of functionality, the, all that kind of stuff. And, and in fact, Excel is also good for, for my business because, because, because it's so good, people use it for all kinds of stuff that they probably shouldn't. And like, and, like, like, what like daily reports that's yeah, not a very exactly, good use for it exactly but it is what it is i worked with a uh, with an asset team one time and they had a they had a spreadsheet that they maintained they called it their frankenstein spreadsheet and, <laughs> and because they had stitched together data from all these different sources they didn't track where the stuff had really come from or whatever but this this spreadsheet had one had one row for each well that they were working on and it had 578 columns and yeah, so you're looking, you know, so it, it, for, for, you, for you all listening, you can't see Paige's face right now, but, you know, she has a look of shock and disgust right there. <laughs> and, and yeah, and so, you know, certainly it's, it's no big surprise that they were having some struggles with their, with their data. And, and so, so, yeah, so I was engaged to help, um, you know, help them find some solutions to that. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm still a little stunned by that. Yeah. So, so I would say Excel is my most used, but I would say in terms of what's 
if I can, if I can also give a second answer to the question and say, what's my favorite piece of software these days? Go ahead. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with Microsoft and I'm going to say OneNote, which is um, actually what I'm using right now. Fantastic. And, <laughs> and I think, I think OneNote really, to me, OneNote is what SharePoint was supposed to be right? in the sense that it's a way to very easily capture information of all different kinds and to organize it in a way that makes sense to you and to collaborate extremely easily with, with your teammates. Now, you know, there are, I'm not trying to knock SharePoint because it does some fantastic things as well, but I'm still trying to figure out what those things are, but go ahead. Well, <laughs> you don't have to explain it to me. SharePoint does give you a little bit of a, gives you a little bit better governance than what's going to be capable in OneNote. Okay. You know, whereas OneNote is, is you know, it's the wild, wild west. But anyway, that's, but that's part of what makes it great is that because it's the wild, wild west, it's, it's, there's no rules. You can do whatever you can do. You can do whatever you want in terms of, you know, knowledge and collaboration between your team. Now, when you're thinking about formally capturing some of that information and making some, some more formal knowledge management systems, I wouldn't necessarily recommend OneNote for that. But in terms of just, you know, a fun piece of software to use. Yeah. Uh, I got to go with OneNote, and and the, if that makes me like the world's biggest geek to say, oh, fun software is OneNote, you know, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not choosing Call of Duty or something as this fun software, but you know, that's, uh, um, we'll go, we'll go with OneNote there. Perfect. All right. Who would you say is your most respected competitor? You know, th- that's a, that's a, that's a difficult question for me to ask because, and this is going to sound kind of braggy because I really think we're, we're in a market niche of one right Mm -hmm. now as a company. Whereas, you know, there's other companies that'll that'll do that kind of data management consulting and, and do a lot of the same types of things that we do. But, but they're either these, these really big global consulting technical firms that you you recognize all the names. I'm not necessarily going to start listing off my, my competitors. Um, And, you know, they don't really want to talk even to the small guys. You know, if you're if your annual corporate revenue is under, you know, two, three hundred million dollars a year, then they don't even want to they don't even want to talk to you. And and they really have a have a difficulty crafting solutions for smaller folks. Well, and there's other boutique kinds of consulting firms uh, as well as software firms that that also offer kind of pieces of what we do. But I don't I don't think anybody else really captures that that breadth of capabilities like the global guys do, which we, which we also offer, but also that, that narrow focus on exclusively on the oil and gas industry and, and that ability to really reach out to these, what we would consider the small, medium-sized startup oil and gas companies and to be able to provide them the capabilities that the global service providers can also, can also do, which allows the little guys for, for you know a pretty reasonable financial outlay to be able to compete with with the with the big guys in terms of those data and analytics capabilities and so so yes i know it's a self-serving answer to say nobody really competes with us but but that's that's really how i look at the market no i like that that's great what's your most important lesson learned you know i I mentioned some of those lessons earlier talking about making sure that you've got that alignment with with your boss and that you're understanding the, you know, that you have a shared objective and that, and that not only have you discussed this, but that, you know, deep down, you, you really actually agree on what you should be doing. You know, I think that's, I think that's probably the most important thing that I've learned, but, you know, I think, I mean, you've also, you gotta, you gotta be you. And, and I think, you know, there's just, there's just so much to, you know, each individual, you're bringing bringing their own set of capabilities and experiences and background 
to, to a team or to a problem. And I think a lot of times, especially, you know, having worked in both really large companies as well as really small companies, I think even in both cases, you know, we find ourselves kind of standing off our our rough edges a lot. And sometimes, you know, myself included, we've got some rough edges that probably should be sanded off and, and, you know, just for the harmony of a group and, and, and all that sort of thing that you've got to, you've got to try and keep some control there. But I think, you know, I, I think a lot of times though, people are, are kind of constrained by fear and they're reluctant to embrace their own individuality. And, and I think that when, when you, when you do that, you're, you're limiting yourself in terms of not being able to contribute your full measure of worth to a team or, or to an objective or to a goal. And so I, I would say, you know, have a little more confidence in yourself that people are going to accept your, your weirdness or your idiosyncrasies and, or your and awkwardness in your, my case, <laughs> whatever the case may be. <laughs> but I would say just kind of embrace your own little inner weirdness that you may have and, and let it fly. Let your freak flag fly at least a little bit. You know, obviously you gotta, you know, I don't want anybody to take that to too far of an extreme, but I think, um, you know, let people see that a little bit because it's, it, it's, it's, like I said, I think it's healthy in a way for, for a lot of reasons that hopefully I've, I've already articulated there, but I, I can probably expand and talk on that more. <laughs> <laughs> That's up to you. Hopefully, 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 you know, don't let my own freak flag fly a little, you know, too high there, but, uh, uh it's welcomed here. <laughs> it's totally welcome here. Again, relying on, on good editing to make sure that I don't <laughs> say anything too terribly offensive, but no, but no, I, I think it's not necessarily the answer I was expecting to give. I think I kind of talked myself into it, but as I started thinking, that was really, that, that really, that really does, it, it really is important to me. And then I think it's probably maybe it's interesting how talking about things, you realize things are maybe more important to you than, than you might've thought, because these are the kinds of thoughts that you don't necessarily always articulate to yourself. Sometimes um, it's, I, I have found that it's better to actually speak aloud versus staying inside of your head. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what I'm saying. I think it's yeah. very consistent with, with the point that I'm making here, which is that, you know, your your whatever's weird about you is not necessarily bad, right? And and it, it's it's something that you know I think it can be helpful both from a from the perspective of you know, bonding with your team when people get, feel like they know you a little better and and that builds trust between people when they when when you're able to to kind of again let let a little bit of your weirdness out and and let people people see it. And, and again, I'm assuming that everybody has a little bit of weirdness in them. Maybe I'm just I think making so. I mean, I come from an extremely weird family. We're all weird on, and we're all ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes our dynamic so wonderful. And I don't know if I sh- how much I should actually bring that <laughs> out, but, but yeah, no, it makes me feel better. It makes me feel more confident in some instances, but yeah, no, I totally identify with that. I like that answer. I think that's my favorite one so far. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So yeah, but I, but I think, but it's also, again, it's, it's, it's going to help you with when you're, when you're coming with those solutions, when you're, when you're not constraining your mind so much and you're just letting things just fly, it's more fun. And I think you're going to come up with better answers and better ideas, better solutions, better ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah work them all out, out, out loud people. Yep. <laughs> so what's your favorite podcast? Oh, this one. Oh, dang it. I know. Everybody I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I've, I've listened to a couple, you know, a couple of the others and, and everybody gives the same answer. I'm like, man. But I have to say, though, the, the, the fact of the matter is, for me, I'm not a big consumer of, prod, of podcasts. And, and which is absolutely acceptable. Yeah. The reality is, for me, I'm much I like to read. Yeah. 
and and I don't retain or learn as well when I'm listening as to as to when I'm reading, and and like I know like a lot of people will listen to podcasts in the car when they have the commute, you know. And I've got an hour long drive, you know. I'm Sugarland to downtown, so yeah. you know it's 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 rough. But but you know I'm you know I'm I'm too busy listening to either you know cheesy '70s soft rock or or some kind of weird disgusting heavy metal music. And I've got this you know that's pretty eclectic. <laughs> well, I'm letting I'm letting my inner weirdness out here. Right. I'm saying it out loud. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, so I listen to a lot of bizarre music and. And I don't really want to give that up. You know, that's one of the things I like about my commute is that I'm in the car by myself and I don't it's, have it's to more argue. alone time, <laughs> exactly. right? I can, I can listen to whatever crazy stuff that, uh, that appeals to me in the moment. So, yeah, so I'm, that's, I'm, I'm that's my thing. I'm kind of the same way. I'm kind of the same way, too. So I, because I want our listeners to be well-dressed and most importantly safe, uh, be sure to go to www.bulwark.com forward slash podcast to win a Bulwark FR shirt and base layer. No purchase necessary to win. It's the official rules for details. So thank you for coming and uh, being on, Trevor. It's been great. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about Stonebridge, how can they go about doing that? Well, the best way is to visit our website, www.sbconsulting.com. Perfect. And Julie will certainly put that in the show notes because she's awesome. So that concludes this episode. Just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.